The following podcast takes what Grand Theft Auto 4 allows you to do in-game and perverts it to the horrible extreme of things you shouldn't do anytime, anywhere, ever. If you are a sensitive person, or are only three years old, we recommend you do not listen further. We are only saying this so we aren't sued at a later time. Thank you. Welcome to the second season of Who's Sometimes. For some reason, it never goes on about panties. Ah, it, it appears we got visitors. Hello, my name is Paul Hughes, the Lord of Leisure. And, well, I suppose this is the You Sometimes podcast, which has been off the radar for a fair while, I've got to admit. But at least for the moment, we are back for a new episode. And actually, you've caught me here chatting to you from the grounds outside my stately summer home in Poshire, a nice little county in broken Britain. And uh, as you can hear, the birds are swaying, uh, the trees are singing, and I feel in the mood for topical banter about things which have been happening recently. Though, if you don't mind, we'd like to carry on as we speak. You see, we were just about to start one of my leisurely activities, and I must say it's a jolly good day for it, isn't it, Spartacus? Yes, it's a beautiful day, perfect for practice. Right, uh, so get the first one ready, Spartacus, and, uh, pull! Excellent shot, sir. Ah, and we're off to a winning start, Spartacus. Lovely, lovely. Oh, uh, sorry, forgot to mention, uh, what we're trying out today here is clay kitten shooting. Except we ran out of clay ones, so we're just using live ones instead. Pull! Good shot. Why, thank you, Spartacus. You're far too kind. Ah, and where are my manners? We're forgetting you good people out there listening on Tinternet. So, to business, and of course the big news recently announced on the blog Futuristic Type Thing, is that I will be leaving where I currently reside for the heady place known as London, which is, of course, the only place in Britain that anyone actually knows about. And for those who wear their underpants on their heads, London is located in England next to Belgium and the milk at your local supermarket. It boasts such wonders as working electricity, hobos who sell various items for booze money, and hair gel. The reason for the move, of course, has been made clear on the blog, and it shall be made clear here as well. It's basically a new job doing all sorts of complicated things with computers, probably asking the question, have you tried turning it off and on again, to various strangers while trying to look more intelligent than I really am. Welcome to the world of IT support. Pull! Ooh, nasty. But anyway, it's going to mean a change of everything from the underpants to the dirty sexy sheets from my bed, some of which predate modern civilization and once made an appearance on the Time Team show from Channel 4, I believe, in which Tony Robinson remarked on the strange patterns created on the sheets all that time ago. Joking aside, of course, for a moment, In all honesty, I truly do not know what lies ahead. Over the next coming weeks before the move, there are many things to sort out, such as the tragic fact I will no longer be needing a car, and therefore will just have a pile of metal sitting just on the street doing nothing. I mean, what will I be doing with that? Aside from celebrating the fact I don't have to drive, of course. (laughs) But of course, I will be enjoying the pleasure instead of knowing how a sardine feels in those tiny tins, as literally people all crowd into the tubes on a weekday, getting all up close and personal, and also running around the stations like a bunch of sillies. Pull! Good shot. 
200 yards at least. Why, thank you, Spartacus. You're far too kind again. Ah, but the one thing around London, of course, is the fact that there's lots of temptation down there of just going out and playing a bit too much, the country boy getting dazzled with lights and various other narcotics. I guess at the end of the day, we'll just have to see what goes on. I mean, there could be various other naughtiness that happens in the meantime, which means, well, who honestly knows? The only thing we can say for certain is that the next podcast will be coming from London, and I guess then we'll be able to give a better idea of truly what the story is. Pull! Ah, 260 yards. Not bad. It's been a rather bad few weeks again, it seems, for the UK government, because, if you were to believe the news, people are three seconds away from gathering their pitchforks and stacks of hay, bound down the M25 to Downing Street, and accuse the entire cabinet of being witches. And if they float in the Thames, they're all damned. You see, we've had the Tempe tax ban gone, the emergency budget measure of giving the money back, the fact that MPs still want to hide their expenses from the taxpaying public, and now a pre-release of what is going into the Queen's speech about the long-term aspirations of the current party in government, who are £21 million in debt, it seems, and may have to declare bankruptcy at some point. It's certainly not a pretty time. Pull! <laughs> Mind you, maybe we're barking up the wrong tree with who to blame for all the problems at the moment. After all... Obese people are apparently contributing to the world food crisis and climate change, experts said recently. Because it seems some person at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine has calculated the obese consume 18% more calories than average. So therefore, they are also responsible for using more fuel, which has an environmental impact and drives up food prices as transport and agriculture both use oil. So... Fat people are the reason we have global warming and the food shortage. Despite, again, there are countries with stockpiles of food that they aren't allowed to export. Like Japan, for instance, from the US, have lots and lots of rice just hanging around doing nothing. And then it appears that the fields that used to be used for food growing are now being used to grow biofuels, which kind of doesn't really help, does it? As for global warming, for all we know, it may be a result of all the fat people farting too much. Fatties are bigger asses and therefore produce more gas, because like the chipmunks, we all store it in our cheeks. But that's the thing, overall, it still needs a good case to say that global warming is truly happening. And when you get all the scientists to agree that the Earth is either warming up or cooling down, and it's not an excuse to raise taxes, then you may get people on your side for once. And, as a member of the fat population who are apparently responsible for the world crisis on everything, I would have complained about this attack on us, but frankly I'm wheezing too much and walking three metres in that direction and I need to sit down and cheeseburger to make the pain go away. Oh, bugger it. Pull! Sir, we've run out of kittens. Ah, bugger. Oh, what am I going to shoot now? We still have the cast of 101 Dalmatians to work through. Ah, yes, good point. Well, load one of the little fellas up, Spartacus, and... Pull! You're listening to Ooh, Sometimes.
Well, I am telling you what you're listening to, I have no idea. So while we carry on here doing naughty, have a bit of a break from it all, and enjoy a fine piece of music from the internet, courtesy of Kiyoshi, coming on to the podcast with a bit of a bang. When we first met, we met with a bang, my stomach flipped because I knew you were the man, the invitation of your outstretched hand, that's when it all began, when my heart just burst with a bang, you held up on the door, but I didn't get through because you let go before, bang. Then bottle fingers went and dropped him on the floor Bang, bang That sound follows you around Bang That sound follows you around Bang, bang That sound follows you around That sound follows you around Bang, diddy, bang, bang You were a clumsy kind of boy The kind of boy that really could annoy But not me, I really quite enjoy Watching you in situations others could avoid Someone else around. Bangity bang 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 bang. It's a Nas. Sorry, I actually do like that song. Bang there from Kiyoshi. You can download that fine morsel of music and indeed a whole lot more from PodsafeAudio.com. And in fact, a link will be posted on the blog for you to abuse at your leisure. 
And I have to say, we've had a lot of quality titles from there in the past. I was blown away by the quality of that song. I really was. It was quite superb. There will be more music later on for all of you to sink your appendages of choice into. Hey, here's another useless line of waffle designed to separate bits of the show. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, it's that part of the show once again, where we now find ourselves washed up on the tropical island, formerly known as Gamers Corner. A place of solitude, pineapples and coconuts that can be turned into our friends at a moment's notice when three days have passed and there's no sign of rescue. This month, along with crying out, Wilson, while trying to murder a football, we take a look at Assassin's Creed, Director's Cut. And for those of you wondering, no, we're not going to be doing Grand Theft Auto 4 until it comes out on PC. So, yeah. Before we start, for the rest of the review, we will now be pronouncing the word assassin like the old man person who leads the assassins. As clearly, everyone has been saying it wrong for so many years, and finally, it's nice to know how to say it the right way. So, <clears throat> here we go. Assassin's Creed is a game by Ubisoft in which basically you go around killing people and run around big places larking about. We could actually call it a day there, but that wouldn't do the game justice. You see, you play two people through the game, Desmond, the name of whom conjures up the Channel 4 sitcom with the same name, and then there's Altair, the ye oldie man who crafts his living by making sure other people aren't living. There's the evil Takasuki Corporation who wants to explore your mind to find a shiny thing, and that's basically what everything you do throughout the game leads up to. Over the course of the game you do find out more what the shiny thing is, the state of the world in the future present, and also back in 1191. Of course, where would we be without a couple of plot twists thrown in along the way for good measure? Sounds good to you so far? Let's press on then. Assassin's Creed story is actually rather good, and the premise with the sci-fi angle is something I am more than happy to praise Ubisoft for. The overall arc of the story is more than enough to keep you hooked to find out what happens at the end. Of course, I'm not going to spoil the ending. If you really want to find out about playing the game, basically just go to YouTube because every man and his dog posted on the ending from the console version released far, far earlier. One of the surprisingly good bits for me was the bizarre behaviour from the good doctor person in the future time. It's incredibly watchable. A man who frankly believes what he is doing is right, yet he's constantly troubled by the powers that be that you don't really see at all. Perhaps, in the background of his mind, he secretly fears failing in the overall task of finding the shiny thing and getting... And Christian Bell from something something Sarah Marshall. I don't know, I forget. She lends herself and a likeness to the character Lucy in the game. And actually, fair play to both Ubisoft and the voice actors, you have to give them credit for creating characters who seem believable despite the entire premise of the story obviously having the overall sci-fi DNA theme. The main bulk of the game takes place in one of three cities, with you visiting each city three times. Each time, more of the city is open to you as your memory allows you to progress further in. Each city has its own distinct look and feel to the place, with dozens of people wandering around the streets, carrying various things, going about their business. Clearly, effort went into the production of the environments. It's just a bloody shame about the huge number of 
special people Ubisoft slotted into the cities, who basically only push you around constantly, annoying you basically. But if you push back, or hit them in response to just having enough of this dilly-dallying, apparently now you're the bastard. And actually same goes for those women who stop you and moan about wanting coins, sex, or whatever the hell they're not getting. I'm sorry, it really will get to the point when you figure, what the hell? Kill them, and never mind the fact you lose some of your mental health bar in the game. Probably in the real world, your mental health bar will be going up a notch as a result. So after you've had enough of hitting the numpties and scroungers in a given city, you'll have a range of missions to complete, such as eavesdropping a conversation, interrogating a man about where the evil bad guy was going to be, beating up guards who are harassing innocent people, escorting a fellow assassin to some place without him being killed, baking a cake for Mrs. Miggins, uh, oh, actually, no, wait, that's not there. But in any case, you do have a bit of leeway in terms of what you do to complete the certain objectives that you need to do so before being allowed to assassinate your given prey. In fact, there are nine victims which you are meant to assassinate through the course of the game. We'll go into more detail about the assassinations later on in this review, but first, I want to ask a very, very good question in terms of the level content. What exactly is the point of the horse riding bit in between the cities? Because to me, the humble reviewer and Lord of Leisure, there was no reason to stick around there whatsoever aside from collecting silly flags. And I really do wonder, how can galloping on a horse in between two far away places, i.e. not next to each other, make the authorities wandering around the place so mad that they want to chase you? Surely you'd have to think that to travel so slowly as to not make the authorities miffed, you would have to take literally hours to reach the city of your choice. Come on, is riding that fast really a crime? Or is it go that it's rude in general to ride really fast when all you want me to do is take it nice and slow? Oh yeah. Thankfully, after you've been to each city, the game gives you the option of skipping ahead to the Assassin's Bureau in the city you want to go to. Since that came about, I haven't had the need to go back into the landscape, except when he needed to go after a bloke after it turns out he really is doing naughty. You see, I gave away bits of the story without saying who it was I was referring to. Genius. Now as I stated earlier, after you completed the random objectives for a nice man at each Assassin's Bureau, they will give you a feather to go and kill one of the nine victims you were sent out to kill towards the start of the game. Off you go then. The problem here, I guess, is that the art of assassination always turns out to be a bigger foul-up than the bloke who thought he was going to be clever by shooting from the Texas Book Depository, hoping not to get caught. Because no matter what you try, the victims always see you coming and then try and run away in most instances, with 500 guards chasing after you wondering why you were trying to introduce the victim to Mr. Knife. Ooh, he's shiny. Of course, there has been the odd exception where you're able to do a high-profile one-hit kill, when you jump up in the air, pounce on your target, and achieve victory! I mean, I must admit, when you actually see it, that's a fantastic plus, but one that was very hard to pull off, making it even more enjoyable when you do. But alas, poor Yorick, as you go on further into the game, it appears that the stealth element, which has been sold as a feature of the game, goes swiftly out the window. But in some way, it makes sense of why. At first, you go around your business as required, blending into the background, using the crowd to get around unnoticed, kill the odd person here and there, and as time goes on, if you so much as fart out of place, the police type people are onto you faster than when a fat person spies an all-you-can-eat buffet, which of course we all know is the cause of all current badness in the world. 
When the police do start chasing you, however, it becomes immense fun. It truly does. You get to scale up buildings, grabbing hold of ledges, running over the rooftops, hiding in various bits, making use of any bit of the city any way you can. It actually shows you why there's so much hoopla about the game in the first place. Granted, you may just be a fat bloke sitting in a chair from the outside world, but in here, in Assassin's Creed, you truly can get to a hell of a lot of places and scale great heights. And this audio review just doesn't do it justice. The combat, unfortunately, does become a bit crap and repetitive later on. Basically, you get into a huge fight with lots of people surrounding you, all taking the time to try and murder you one by one, with you holding them back with your big sword. Or, as mentioned, perhaps you're able to use your lovely hidden blade, which at this point is close to impossible to use. You would hope that you would be able to find a hidden way in and out of an area like in Hitman, for instance, and maybe blend into the background a lot more, perhaps even changing clothing to avoid the authorities. Maybe that will make an appearance in the sequel. We all know that's coming. So, back to the assassinations. After you complete a kill, it all changes round so the picture just involves you and the murdered naughty person dying. What is rather confusing about this whole thing is that when you finally killed your target, blood's running down their soon-to-be corpse, they proceed to read you a novel about why they did what they did, all without croaking. How the hell can they do that when they've been stabbed in the throat? I'm surprised that they don't tell you on the deathbed, Ah oh, yes, that reminds me of the time I was in Budapest for my mate stag do. Which they spend another several hours telling you, and how you disappeared three hours earlier because your mum called you back for your tea. Worse still, you can't skip it. There is no way you can move on unless you sit there and watch it. Don't get me wrong, they forward the story in a very good way. Just that if you're replaying the game, for instance, it would be a nice touch to have the ability to move straight into the running away from the fuzz. The control system for the game does show up its console roots. However, the way it works on the mouse and keyboard is not overly bad. It just takes some getting used to. The right mouse button gives you extra context options to do, like running or killing, while move your finger off the right mouse button, the same options are more covert. Pretty simple. The graphics of the game, showing the whole city at once, is quite an achievement in itself, with a great little addition of a panoramic view whenever you scale a great height to get an overview of what missions are in a certain area. And in all fairness, you actually do need to see that. You cannot really describe it in an audio form. All I have to say is thank you Ubisoft for at least putting some effort into it. There's far less graphical glitches visible from the previous effort I played from them, known as Splinter Cell Double Agent. It was a good game let down by bad coding, simple as that, and at least they put some effort into this. Game performance with all the options turned on is an absolute dream. However, there is some stuttering to be had, which you could say is a result of running everything full, but it seems to be the issue was down to internet polling, which was mentioned on another post somewhere on the digital landscape, known as the internet, and disabling the net connection solved the issue. It was a similar experience from Guitar Hero 3 on PC, when adding DNS entries to your local host file stopped the polling to advert servers, and thus improved the game performance. Once again, it's a bit of a shame that that issue exists, but that would lead to a whole discussion on the piracy stroke advertising in-game issue when you've already paid money for the product, etc., and that's best left for other people for the time being. There is a bit of a sour note to end this review on, and I have saved it to last on purpose because despite this next niggle, and unfortunately it's slightly more than a niggle, you have to remember there are things that the game does very well. The sad fact overall from Assassin's Creed is that after three hours, it becomes a one-trick pony. The same thing over and over again, just with different baddies. And after a certain point, it does lead you down the narrow story corridor with no stealth or using the area to avoid the authorities. It just comes down to the big fights 
and how you can best beat them again despite all the odds. It's the story that will keep you going towards the end beyond that. Once you've done the first mission in the first city, you've basically got the gist of the entire game. Perhaps that was why there was no demo released. Maybe Ubisoft feared that people would only want the demos that would be what's in the full game, just rinsed and repeated. And that harms the game the most, that one single point of repetitiveness, while short, that little point, it is the most significant about Assassin's Creed. We all know that there is a second game on the way, the story leaves that gate wide open, and perhaps all those issues, especially the repetitiveness, will be sorted out then. So to sum up the game, there is good story and characters, and it's certainly one of the more original concepts to appear in years. There is variety in the side missions leading up to the main assassination. The game repeats itself after a few hours. Assassinations are often botched with huge crowds of guards after you, which adds to the fun, strangely. The game repeats itself after a few hours. The horse riding bit is both rubbish and pointless, and it'd be jolly nice if we had to do it if we didn't have the speed cameras about. The game repeats itself after a few hours. The game appears to have a greater scope of systems to run on, despite the high requirements on the box, and actually runs quite well if you turn off the net connection. The game repeats itself after a few hours. Combat, despite being well executed, becomes repetitive and narrow. The ability to run around huge cities is too much to pass up. You have to love that in Assassin's Creed. The cutscenes are like Marmite. You either love them or hate them. The special people and beggars will actually get on your tits after a while. So now then, using the crystal ball of fortune telling and a pulley system designed by the gods to send Hercules to the underworld, we will now pluck out the score for Assassin's Creed. It's out of 10, and of course could gain the score of 12, if it's a game that you must drop everything else to play right now. So, here we go. Ah, what do we have here? Oh, it's a 7. Ooh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, it was enjoyable, like the story, the free running was great fun. Uh, it must be the fact that you have to do the same over and over again for the game. Uh, I guess whatever you draw from the review, I have to say, Assassin Creed is definitely worth a go. And on that bombshell, it's a time for Yohi. As she sits in the corner, face to the floor, she dispels smoke from her lips and slowly floats away with it, letting go of so much pain. Her tears are thick enough to stain the pavement that slowly become her best friend when she needs to run away. This is your time to weep. This is your time to mourn. Now your time to build up. Just your time to tear down the Does it help to see I'm sorry? If so, then I'm sorry that you're so unhappy. This life throws lies are starting to get you down. Darling, don't let them drag you around. 
our first venture there, promoting indie records from IOTA PromoNet. That was a very compelling track, it must be said, from the band Between the Trees. We have a time for Yohi off their 2006 album, The Story and the Song. You can download that track from a link on the blog. Also buy that from iTunes or Amazon at your leisure if you liked it. We certainly did, and that's why it was played here on Who Sometimes. Just top quality. The world's gone to hell. We're doomed. Doomed. Ah! And that concludes our test of the emergency podcast system. Hello, campers. You're now joining us from a seedy hotel room where there are lots of drugs about, various ladies of the evening, and Mr. VoiceOver Man is getting worked over. Come on, baby. I need you working harder if you catch my drift. Sure thing. So while Mr. VoiceOver Man is getting down and funky with Jezebel, the last segment of the show has been dedicated to you, the discerning listener, with very silly emails coming through the mailbox. And that special segment we've been hanging on to for a rainy day and, oh, and oh, oh, uh, considering what's going on, it appears to be getting moist. <clears throat> so our first email is from Blog Blaster, and he stroke she, or strange mixture of the two, writes, How would you like two million sites linking oh. to your ad? Weblog or blog population is exploding oh. around the world, resembling the growth of email users in the 1990s. Post your ads where people read them. What if you could place your advert on all these sites? Uh, Right, that would mean you would have millions of sites linking to your ad. Well, cheers for the offer, Blog Blaster, but not right now. We're quite happy with the free listeners and a badger who reads who sometimes at the moment, but should we feel the need to add a camel to our readership, we will certainly get back in touch. Our next email is from a person whose email address contains Stop Uh, Beijing 2008. And the subject is Stop Nazi Olympic Games. And that's it, actually. There was nothing in the body of the mail. And it's the kind of emails we like to get for the podcast. Of course, we are looking into what we can do about stopping the Olympics. So far, we've sent a very stern-sounding email to Play.com because our Stargate DVD hasn't arrived yet. And a couple of people have had a chat with myself at work about what was on television last night. And is it time to go home yet? So I feel we really are helping there to achieve that goal. So hopefully we'll be able to get back to stop Beijing 2008 and say we were successful. Our last email comes from Big Tits Asian Boobs Lactating Tits. And he or she wrote in about the blog post AWOL Day 40, where I, the Lord of Leisure, discussed more about what was going on about the current state of the world. And I was lost in the Arctic tundra, of course. (laughs) That was a laugh, wasn't it? They write... I cannot agree with you in 100% regarding some thoughts, but you've got good point of view. Well, thank you, big tits, Asian boobs, lactating tits, for that hugely generic compliment. Although, if I were you, I would have a word with your parents as to ask why they named you big tits. Or is it that you're possibly related to the lady currently working over Mr. Voiceover Man? Mmm, work it, girl. Okay. <laughs> and now, the main event. Two titans. One ready product, who will win? For Yes, we have come to the main event of the podcast, the event that literally three people have been waiting for. Which topping is best on toast? And this contest will be settled between two titans of the British food industry. 
In one corner, weighing 125 grams, we have the Colossus oh, that is Bovril. Dear. And in the other corner, weighing in at the exact same weight because we bought the same size jar, we have the classic spread of choice, Marmite. Now, of course, we are aware that other spreads uh-huh. and brands are available, but the listening public demanded to know which was better between these two specifically. And we like to think that we listen to you, uh, well, occasionally. Now, before anyone emails in saying, Paul, you magnificent stallion, what the hell is exactly Bovril or Marmite? I've never heard of these strange things. We will be posting links to the products to explain what they are on the blog. Because being perfectly honest, I can read the ingredients at the back, uh, and they've got, they've both got yeast in it, and I have no idea what that tastes like yet, so... Um, I have a funny feeling I will know shortly. Now, we have our equipment here, of a toaster and a knife present, next to the cache of condoms and baby oil, and to make the test as realistic as possible, which is slightly difficult to do in a seedy hotel room filled with drugs and hookers, we will be using the same brand of bread and equal amounts of spread from the two jars. So now we will just pop in the two slices of bread into said toaster, and while they toast, we can tell you all about the violent history of both products. The history of Bovril. Bovril was created by Isaac Newton in 1826 as a result of carrying out his research using paper clips and a tube of toothpaste after losing a bet with a colleague that the world was not made out of tissue paper and thus losing all of his equipment. It was rumored that he was trying to create a new shoe polish that would last longer than any other polish currently on the market to pay to get his equipment back. But as he was starving and broke, he decided, what the hell, and at the paste he produced. The results were astounding. Having only vomited up his kidneys, he proceeded to mass-produce the product and sell it worldwide. The history of Marmite! Marmite is created from little creatures known as Marmites, who live in the ground underneath the Houses of Parliament. Knowledge of their existence was not widely known until Pitt the Younger was walking through a hall and noticed something by a grandfather clock. Confused and dazed, he picked up the creature and ate it. Consumed with lust for the taste of the Marmite, the Houses of Parliament were knocked down to find more of them, and in 1382, just after lunchtime, the entire colony of Marmites were found unconsumed en masse, with a few survivors being taken for breeding. Now the Marmite is grown in cloning factories in Surrey, where the naughty paste is shipped out to many places around Surrey. So here we are now, ready to start peeling off the lid. Our first contestant is Bobril. Okay, and this is the first opening of the jar. And the smell is like bee foxo cubes. Hmm. But anyway, we have our toast here, and here we go. Dip. Oh my god, it's like tar. Okay, so, now slap it in on the bread in equal measure. This is a very delicate piece of uh, engineering here, what I'm doing. The bovril's going all over the place. <laughs> And the taste. Okay, here we go. <coughs> okay, Bovril. 
is basically that's just <laughs> it's a bit too much it's, it's basically concentrated oxo cube oh okay <laughs> No, really yellow. <laughs> oh, I need a cup of tea. <coughs> okay. <coughs> right. Our second contestant. I almost don't want to do this. <laughs> God knows what the hell it is. This is unknown. Okay, just getting the knife in there. Oh my god, it's just as bad. Okay. It's spreading Marmite on. And the taste? I declare Bovril the winner simply because it's the least disgusting. Ah, need tea, need tea. It's the fuzz. Everyone, run for it. You've been listening to episode three of Ooze Sometimes, starring Paul Hughes and Nessel Slaughter as Mr. Voice of a Man, with music by Kevin McLeod, C. Jack, Seismic Anomaly, with sound effects from the Free Sound Project. Music for the Assassin's Creed review was provided from the Assassin's Creed soundtrack, available from Ubisoft. Other music tracks appear courtesy of IOTA, PromoNet, and PodsafeAudio.com. To find out more about the terms and conditions of this podcast, visit www.oosometimes.com. You can also write to us at podcast at oosometimes.com. Well, Paul has toddled off to the loo. I really have to tell you, listeners, sometimes I rather hate sucking up to him with the Sir, this and sir, that. Excuse me, I have to go.